0: Welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Long, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode.
1: Welcome back everybody to the Value Adds Value Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger and I'm joined by my guy, Wilkie V Law the Third. Will, what's good?
0: Oh man, good. First week of school down and excited to kick off this 2020 21 school year. It's still kind of crazy saying that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm actually I, I start my meetings on Thursday, you know, being in Minnesota. I'm like our first school day is not until September 8th so we have that but i'm always jealous that on memorial day when you guys get done i still have like two more weeks but um everything is safe there down in houston with another potential impending storm
0: yeah right now you know we're just kind of everybody's kind of looking at the you know looking at the sky to see what happens um with two storms entering the gulf for the first time i think they said since 1933 uh that this is the first time they will actually have two named storms in the Gulf of Mexico at the same time so you know in my mind I keep thinking about the movie uh, Perfect Storm mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so you know you get kind of start looking so I just try to stay away from the news make sure we're prepared we have enough water we have enough food and yeah I yeah. think we're far enough away from the immediate coast to 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 Probably get a lot up. of rain. Right. Yeah. yeah,
1: it'll be good for your yard and your plants. So um we are excited for our guest this week because we've we've really been striving to kind of break out of our shell and, and find people who have different perspectives. Um so we're excited to have uh, our guest. She is now a vocational am I saying this right? Vocational special education teacher. Is that the right way to say it?
2: Yeah, I'll go over it I have two different titles. Okay.
1: Well, <laughs> Well, we have Fiona Gonzalez from uh, Orange County, California, a SPED teacher, on the podcast, and we're so thrilled to have you. So, Fiona, thank you for taking some time on a Saturday.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so we're like I said, we we're we're really trying to focus this season with, and we call our our, our school years are what we're calling season. So, this is our third season of doing the podcast this school year. So, we're really trying to focus on relationships. But you know, it's hard not to like deal with what's immediately in front of everybody, which is the, the looming virtual or hybrid or whatever it is. So if you don't mind, could you get our listeners started and just give us a little bit of your background and how it is that you got into the education profession?
2: Yeah. So I'm a mod severe adult transition teacher, and I'm also a vocation program specialist for our high school and transition department. And I have a master's in special education and a BA in marketing. And prior to teaching, I was a paraprofessional of various age groups for many years and an in-home ABA therapist. And then it became an interest of mine to become a teacher because I was a paraprofessional and I felt like I was doing a lot of work for a little pay. Um, paraprofessionals do an insane amount of work, like they don't get enough credit. I mean, the classroom cannot run without them, or at least a special education classroom. And though so I was helping... Uh, coming up with lessons and activities for our students on top of that, just because I loved it so much. And so I realized, you know, I should just go back to school and get my credential and just be a teacher. Like, why just be a per- per- professional? And so here I am now.
0: You know, and that's yeah. interesting because um, you said a lot there that I wanted to touch on because one of the slashes that I said teachers have to add this year to their resume is marketing and public relations, because now we have to get our kids to want to come to our classroom. So I'm I'm going to have to hold on to that. And once we get into it, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and maybe some strategies and tips <laughs> that we can use to try to get students excited about coming to our classroom. But when I did my bachelor's, I did my bachelor's with a vocational program in San Marcos and we helped, I worked with adults. Most of my background was in mental health, mental retardation, Back, that's what it was called then, MHMR. And um, so many of our clients were self-sufficient. I mean, many of them took public transportation, you know, to go to their job sites, you know, some of them worked off-site, some of them worked in our vocational vocational training center, but all lived alone. And my job was to go into their houses and kind of help them. So I'll be interesting to see and ask how that came about from marketing to <laughs> to paraprofessional. Like how did that shift take place?
2: Yeah, completely random. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was going into college. So I kind of picked something that was generic that I thought I could apply to different, you know, areas of careers. And then um that's when I became a paraprofessional because somebody had just said, Hey, I know you need to like make some money, get through college. And so, you know, they were like, I know you like kids too. And so I gave it a try and then ended up falling in love with it. And that's how I was kind of opened up to the world of special education. And then I, you know, did some more research and found out I didn't need my BA to be in education in order to get my credentials. So I was like, okay, awesome. I don't have to do all these extra classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's where the marketing came in. And I, I mean I still love that aspect, but um it, it does, you know, help in a certain way now with everything being virtual. I would say those skills have come in handy.
1: <laughs> so so in California, do you have to have a master's or that credential to teach? Can you teach with just a bachelor's in California?
2: Yeah, you don't have to have the master's. It's at well most people just add it on because it's like two extra classes, so might as well, right?
3: <laughs> oh,
1: oh, see, like where, like where I grew up in in Minnesota, it was like a full another like. So I went to school in a teaching program, but it was like a full another two full year program to get your master's on top of that. So that's just, um, and I guess I had heard maybe incorrectly that you had to have a master's in in California to be able to teach. So how long, how long was the program that it took you to get your credential after you had your VA? Um
2: I actually did an accelerated program. So it was only two years, but I was, my classrooms were all jam packed in all day. And sorry. Oh, and um, yeah, so it was just the two extra classes. I, I don't know yeah, what the difference is, but I, I mean, I've heard California is more rigorous when it comes to the mm-hmm teaching credential programs or the requirements, but yeah, I guess it differs from state to state. Um, mm. I don't know. I guess we have all the the huge tests we have to take in order to get the credential. Right. Um, right. I'm not sure if every state has that.
1: I mean, some well, that, but, the, the the funny part is so like I I got my my teaching degree in Minnesota and I was licensed Minnesota and Wisconsin. I only had to take one test called the Praxis to get licensed in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Oh. But then I had, when I moved to Texas, I had to take a whole new set of tests to yeah. get my license there. But the strange thing about Texas is once I passed like the professional practices test, if I could pass a physics, if I could pass the physics test for the state without any any science background, if I could somehow pass it, I could be licensed to teach physics. Huh. <laughs> So that's just why I asked because, you know, there are states like, like Texas that like I had, I had no elementary background and I was able to take a generalist test that would have licensed me four to eight Mm -hmm. in Texas and I passed it and I, and then I could have gone down and taught those grades. So we're always, we've been talking a lot recently about kind of the teacher certification program and the teacher prep program. So that's, that's just why. I kind of asked that follow-up, but we want to get kind of kind of back on track here. Um, <laughs> so an important question we ask ourselves and really what is the basis of everything we do is trying to give kids the teachers that they deserve. And we hope our podcast and the work we do helps teachers be that. So when you hear that term, the teacher kids deserve, what what comes to mind for you?
2: So what comes to mind for me is someone that takes the time to get to know each student. Um, whether that be their strengths, their weaknesses, preferences, learning styles, and so on. Um, Teaching by the book will only get you so far, especially in special education. Uh, Each student is so unique in their learning styles and you really have to personalize their lessons and there isn't a one size fits all. I think it's particularly important to get to know your students' preferences in special education because this is going to be the basis of setting you up and your student for success. And if you know what their reinforcers or motivators are, as well as what's going to trigger or start a behavior, because once a behavior starts, there's no learning going on in that period. So if you can avoid behaviors or get them out of a behavior sooner, um, I think that's the most helpful as far as reaching your students. And then identifying when your student needs a break or allowing them to go at their pace will make a huge difference in making progress.
1: I guess to follow up just on that last part. So how do you, you, so you did some virtual teaching in the spring, right? Yes. So Wilkie and I were just having this conversation about like, if you're on a, if, if this was a, if we were a class together and you have whatever, 10 of your kids and one of them needs to get up and like, take a break, you know, like you were just saying, do you do that differently than you would have if when you were in the classroom? I I guess the question I'm asking is like, how do you build just those last two things about identifying when your kids need breaks? So how do you build that into a virtual setting?
2: Yeah, I mean, at first with the virtual setting, it was was kind of tough because I don't know what's going on in the home background um, or what exactly is triggering a behavior on virtual. Um, For the most part, it was usually just, you know, having them participate in work and they're having to do work. So they're just like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm at home. I, this is, I don't do work at home. I only do that at school. So it was really hard for my students to associate, like, I'm doing schoolwork while I'm at home. Like, this is how it is right now. So we had to do a lot of like social stories and kind of discussing first, talking about all the expectations, the new norm. Um, and, you know, I, I, our classes were pretty shortened. Uh, we didn't have super long um, live sessions, but that's going to increase in the fall with the the new expectations um, as far as live sessions or synchronous lessons go. But um, yeah, I I try and give my students as many breaks as they can and I the better I get to know them, the more I know I can push them to like, hey, answer this question first, then you can take a break. Or, you know, if I know them well enough, I can be like, you know, you definitely need a break right now. And then we'll come back and revisit that question. So it's different for every student as far as when I make that call.
0: You know, and I think that's interesting because even uh, yesterday I had a student who I could tell was getting a little antsy. And I, like, I always start with, like, I try to do the program we use, we use Schoology. And so it has little emojis that the students can put over their name to kind of tell me how they're feeling. And I tell the kids, if if I'm in the middle of talking and you don't want to interrupt me or you can't interrupt me because I've cut off the chat or something, and you just need to take a break, just raise your hand and you know, show that you're raising your hand on a thing and I'll acknowledge you. And so I saw the little girl and she 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 was sitting there and she had her hand raised and I was like, Yes, and she kind of pointed back behind her. And I just kept going, and I shook my head yes, and kept going. Thing, and she got up, turned the camera off, you know, went and did whatever she needed to do, and came back. And so I think it's just a matter of teaching them, number one, that it's okay to to it's okay to not feel okay, and that's one thing I even really stressed to my kids. It's okay when you don't feel okay. Tell me how you feel, you know, if you're sad, if you're confused, if you're whatever, and then make sure that when you say it, that you don't let what you feel prevent you from getting what you're getting. Yeah. And so, and I think creating that space virtually is, it's difficult. You know, um, I had a conversation with one of our our SPAD teachers yesterday who, you know, he was saying how, you know, it's going to be a challenging year because for him to have to reach and make accommodations for so many different kids. And I told him the best thing to do is to get you a schedule. First, get all the information you can about those kids and then get you a schedule and figure out which kid start prioritizing, how you're gonna meet the needs of those kids and teach them how to tell you what it is that they need from you. And I think that is so, so important in this world that we're going to, especially for that, because right now our special education population could be almost a forgotten population when you think of virtual. Because a lot of people just say, oh, I'm just going to teach to the middle. And you're going to miss a lot of those kids and not give them what they need. Yeah, definitely.
1: I guess so coming back a little bit to the beginning, can you describe your your two positions and, and what kind of each of those roles are? Because obviously I'm a little bit confused by it after reading your, your website and your bio. So just to make sure that everybody understands what it is you do, you want to just explain those two different positions?
2: Yeah. So adult transition teacher. um, So that's ages 18 to 22, or at least in California, that's what it is. I think it differs a little bit from state to state. Um, But basically once a student um, technically graduates from high school, which is when everyone else would exit out of the public school system, um, special education allows you to stay in school until 22. Um, It's kind of like an extra little... Like, hey, you're going to get a few more like life skills, class, life skills and vocational classes um, mm-hmm. under your belt before you actually leave the public school system. And so um, some of my students um, that are on the higher functioning end, they still have a chance to catch up and finish their diploma. But I've only had one student that was on the diploma track. Everyone else is on a certificate track. And um Yeah, so basically we're focusing on life, independent living skills and vocational skills. And so the other part of my job is I'm in charge of, um, we get a workability grant in California. So that grant helps us pay for um, online, or not online, sorry, on campus and off campus job sites. Um, So it's work experience and all of the vocational instruction that goes along with that on our campus. And so I'm in charge of organizing the on-campus jobs, the off-campus jobs, um, and it's, it's a lot of work on top of teaching, but um, my school fortunately gives me a sub to help out when I'm tending to the other half of my job. <laughs>
0: um, I, I guess so,
1: I'm trying to say this in the most politely possible. So how are there common threads as to how students get into that that extra 18 to 22 that program? Are there certain things that have happened to them? Are there things that they're missing in their education that have kind of got them to that point?
2: Um I believe it's any student that has an IEP. And then um we do have students that you know if they're doing well in our program they will go back to the public school system. So I guess I forgot to mention, I work at a non-public school. So basically all of the students at district schools, if they don't have an appropriate placement for them, they come to my school and we focus Mm, on the more mod severe um, students.
1: Okay. See, and, and that was, I think what my question was. So, so with that, in that program, is do you have just like general outcomes that you strive for for every kid or are the outcomes different for each student that comes through?
2: Um, So ideally, we're trying to help the student secure a job placement. That's the ultimate goal um, when it comes to the vocational portion of it. And it might not be attainable right away. So I think it's important to recognize that they're strengths and their preferences and really concentrate on strengthening those areas um, for the best success and a lot of people tend to concentrate or jump straight towards focusing on like job applications or interviews and i think that there's so much more even before you would even fill out a job application or go to an interview um, things that need to be taught such as you know looking professional or being punctual using public transportation, um, finding the way to your job site, and so on. And so a lot of it, that's where the independent living skills come into play that we need to focus on before we focus on the vocational skills. Because if you want to get a job, you know, you got to make sure you're taking care of your hygiene. And, you know, like I said, being punctual and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, I think it's also important to expose students to realistic options as well. Um, oftentimes I see many teachers will focus their career lessons on high paying or high profile professions, like being a doctor or an astronaut when you grow up. And some of these jobs are just not realistic, especially if you know a student's not gonna go to college or you know they don't wanna go to college. So it's like, okay, you're, you can't be a doctor if you're not gonna go to college. So I try and concentrate on entry level jobs. And, you know, these are all jobs that we've had to all go get when we were 15, 16. You know, you mm-hmm. have to go through those minimum wage jobs. And so I try and expose my students to that because that's the first step and we need to concentrate on that area
0: first. And you know, it's interesting when I was at um, my, the center I worked in, it was uh, the shy vocational center in San Marcos. Uh, We had a student, uh, an adult. I'm not gonna call him a student, an adult, who we worked with. I worked with him before I was in my internship, and during my internship, he was making the transition from the vocational workshop to an actual real job. And I was on your Instagram, and I saw how you were doing the virtual bagging to teach uh, the bagging how to properly bag items in a grocery store, and for, for Nim, that was the best job that he ever had. We worked with him in, in the shop on how to bag groceries, and he took such pride in it. Yeah. And when he was able to go away from the workshop and was able to leave and get dressed, and I remember him getting a job at H E B, and he was so excited that he had a uniform to put on and he could get, you know, to get to work. And watching him come home, I mean, it's like, you know, it, it, they became like they were my friends. They, these are my friends that I worked with. That I just kind of made sure that everything was taken care of at the home front before you know they retired for the night. Make sure they knew what the guidelines. Were for. there were some behaviors that you, you know that, that that's to be expected. Um, yeah. But to watch the expression on his face to get a job where he was this, he was a he was a sacker, and he was so excited that he was actually going to get to do it outside of the workshop. I mean, he kept that job up until I left San Marcos, Uh, like that, even when I wasn't working there anymore and I would go into HEB, he would see me and he would run up to me and give me a hug, you know, just because it was like, he knew that I was a part of that journey to get him to that point. And again, it's not saying, hey, you have to go right here, go down the road to go to Southwest Texas State University, get a degree. No, it's like, what's gonna help you be functional? What's gonna help you live a life of independence to the best of your ability? And I think that that's that part of career readiness that we don't kind of scaffold down to say, that's what you need to get into.
2: Yeah. That's so, that makes me so happy to hear that story. Like I love stories like that.
0: Yeah. It was amazing. Like that was, that was probably the best experience I've ever had because I worked there so long. I worked there most of my college life. And then when I did my internship, I really got to see behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a glimpse of what it's like, what, you know, trying to find contract that we could do in the workshop, you know, trying to go out to job sites to make sure that when the, when we put our, 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 our clients out there to work, that they actually stayed on the job and knew how to conduct themselves, you know, helping them problem solve while they were there. And it's like I say, it's just so rewarding. Um, you know, I can say, I equated, you know, you could equate it to a kid telling you, hey, I graduated high school. Okay, great. Another kid, hey. I, I, I got I got my certificate. I finished everything that I needed to do, and now I'm a I'm a sacker. Great, you know, it's the same level of excitement that you would get for you know kids who have a higher set of abilities that you would have for another another kid. Or you know, at that point, I can't keep saying kid, but he was 19 years old, you know, when I first I met him. Definitely, <laughs> <laughs> like, I
2: catch As, myself saying kid, and I'm like, nope, adult, <laughs> adult, right
0: so but you know it's like that saying you got to carry over that same level of excitement for what you're doing Mm -hmm. and again it's all in education and making so education is the key to change the world for for everybody who engages it
2: yes and that's what we
0: just have to try to do so i salute you for your work doing it out there um and uh, is your population pretty big with students who can't function in school that have to come to you
2: our school is kindergarten all the way up to adult transition and we have i think we have like three adult transition classrooms sometimes we've had like four or five depending on the, the year so wow. yeah it's a pretty big program
3: hey buddy what is going on it's kyle here from value adds value and i want to thank you for checking out this episode part one of our two part conversation with Fiona Gonzalez oh, and we're just loving this this podcast and this conversation because it's it's Fiona is a teacher that we've never had on before and I and I don't mean that. We've never I, We never had her but we've never had someone who does what she does working with adults of ear mods and helping those students get into the workforce and become self sufficient. It was so eye opening and honestly just so fun to be able to look like at part time, trying to get high school jobs, and just think about what our kids are going through now, and, and the skills that they. Need. So we were really, really blessed and really fortunate to be able to have Fiona on. So um, this is part one of the two part series, uh, which we will continue on Thursday. Um, like I said, in this episode, just just really talking about um, how to create outcomes for her students and, and how she works through those programs and also you know just some general feelings towards digital teaching and virtual teaching talk about how to give your kids breaks and how to be mindful of what they need in their households and all those things so we were super super thrilled and super honored to have her on so make sure you tune in thursday for the second half of this podcast with communication Out. um you can find her online as the spedding adult make sure you check her out and find her there um and you can find us uh on instagram at value Adds value at it's will law iii and at it's kyle Career. you can find us on facebook as value Adds value you can find us on youtube as value as value you can find us at the LED project.com, and you can also like subscribe
0: share this podcast reach out let us know how we can do better um we hope you have a great week